It's uh, sort of intriguing that we're talking about life without limits from the book of Colossians. Do you know why? The author of this book is the Apostle Paul, and if you know his circumstances, he's certainly from a human standpoint not living life without limits at the point that he writes this epistle, this letter, to the Christ followers who live in Colossae. In fact, he's imprisoned. And he's been imprisoned for a while. Most scholars believe that he wrote this Uh, during his first imprisonment in Rome. And if you know any of of the history of that from the book of Acts, you know that uh, he was arrested after a riot broke out in the temple, spent several years uh, continuing to be imprisoned and uh, arrested in Judea, in in Caesarea, and and was there before he finally appealed to to, to Caesar so that his case could move forward. He's accompanied by a Roman soldier on a ship which in the middle of his voyage to Rome sinks, gets shipwrecked. He gets washed up on an island, gets bitten by a a very poisonous serpent, a snake, uh, so poisonous that the, the local islanders on this island are shocked that he survives it and begin to think maybe he's, maybe this guy's a god. We've never seen anyone survive a snake bite from this particular snake. He finally makes it to Rome. We, we're not sure exactly what his circumstances were. Some scholars believe he was under house arrest. Uh, some believe he was just rotting in a Roman prison. Uh, dark, dank, not really very pleasant circumstances. And yet, when he writes back to these believers in Colossae, these are not even people that he has personally evangelized. They've been evangelized through someone that was, was one of Paul's protégés, a, a, a young man named Epaphras. But Paul loves these people, and he's writing to them, and he's telling them that Jesus Christ is everything. Literally everything. And that when we have Jesus Christ, we have a life that is truly unbelievable, so unbelievable, and so full, and so unlimited, that even a prison cell cannot contain the life that Jesus Christ gives us. No outward circumstances can spoil it. No, no, no uh, situation in life can take that life that Jesus gives away from us. He's really developing what Jesus says when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So let's take a look at how Paul does develop that thought from Colossians chapter 1. Pull out your crosswalk notes. That'll make it easier for you to follow along in the message this morning. And what I'm about to read is right at the top of page 1 under the title. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, 
bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Some of the people in the crowd were exhausted, flat out exhausted. They had been traveling for days to get to this place, miles to come together at this place. And a crowd was rapidly developing on this dirt road leading into the city. If it were happening today, the Twitterverse would be lighting up. And Facebook, everyone would be doing a Facebook post about it. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen a mob mentality. Living in Zambia, I've, I've... Uh, watched a mob develop along a road, college students upset about the rise of the the price of staple food, and all of a sudden they come together out of the university on a major road called the Great East Road, and there they are, huge crowds of them stopping cars, turning them over, bashing windows, mob mentality. You know what happens in mob mentality is the responsibility for actions gets spread out because people begin to think, well, how can they catch all of us? What, they'll never get me. Maybe they'll get some of those people over there, but we're safe. We're okay. We can do whatever we want. And pretty soon this mob develops a life of its own because no one is taking personal responsibility for their actions. And there's confusion. Another really, really strong aspect of mom mentality is the confusion. People start to move in a direction, and all of a sudden there can be a a crush of people moving in that direction. Literally a crush of people. Anyone who's watched news footage on the day following most every Black Friday nowadays knows about that confusion and the mentality of the mob that can literally become very, very dangerous. There was confusion in this mob gathered along this dirt road as well. And weird stuff was happening. People were, some of, the, some of the men were scrambling up the nearby palm trees and taking their knives and cutting down palm branches. Some of them without knives, just peeling the palm branches off and throwing them down into the road. And people in the crowd as they came up were saying, what, what's going on? Why are these guys doing this with the, with the palm branches? And then, even crazier, people were starting to peel off their, their outer garments and lay them over the top of the palm branches so that the road became no longer a dirt road, but a road that was paved, paved with, with palm and cotton. And off in the distance, you could hear the crowd was even louder than... Then the low murmur that was going on in the crowd here and the people saying, look at him, what's he doing? And all of a sudden, along comes this small crowd of people literally striding down the middle of the road. And in the middle of that small group of people singing and shouting is a man riding on 
a colt. Not a colt of a horse, but a colt of a donkey. And you can pick up what this little entourage is shouting and singing about this man. Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Behold, our king comes. And there was confusion too about what that meant. Our king comes. Is this him? Is this who we've been waiting for? The Messiah, the one that will finally, finally deliver us from Roman rule. The new Moses, the one who will take us out of slavery and oppression and and get these Roman centurions and their legions to finally leave and get out and we can have freedom once again. We've heard about this man. Isn't this the man that has fed 5,000 people with only a, a few loaves of bread and a few fish? Isn't he the one that has made lame people walk and, and made blind people see? Imagine him as our king. Imagine the health system that that guy will bring. Imagine the food. We won't have to worry. No more hand-to-mouth existence. Not, not when someone can take a few loaves of bread and fish and turn it into a full-blown meal for over 5,000 people. There was confusion because some were saying, that's not what this king is about. Don't you know? This king is really not about earthly stuff. In fact, they were telling the crowd, some of these people, that there had come a time when Jesus had walked away from the crowds and said, I don't, I don't want to be your bread king. That's not what I'm here for. Confusion in the crowds. And interestingly, a confusion that kept on going long After that man riding on the colt of a donkey, his name was Jesus Christ. And by the way, you and I know he wasn't just a man. He was and is the God-man, Jesus Christ, our Savior from sin. Long after his death on the cross, brutal death on the cross, long after his resurrection, which we'll celebrate next week, there were still people who could not get away from the idea that we need to focus on this world's needs, on this life that we're living, on having Jesus be our king for now and supply us with the stuff that we need right here. In fact, some of that was going on 50, 60 years later in Asia Minor. And beyond. Paul, when he writes to the Colossians, maybe 30, 35, 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, has to once again remind the Colossians that it's not about the here and now. It's not about human philosophies and and people's wisdom. There's something that Jesus Christ, who is the all in all, the everything, there's something about what he brings that goes beyond the life 
that revolves around us. And that's really what he's talking about this morning, the Apostle Paul. And you know what? Here's where it gets very real. Because right down to today, people are still looking for the magic bullet for the here and now. People are still looking for the thing, the person, the God, the whatever that can make my life right here, right now, more pleasant, more blessed. This is where it's at. No more of this heaven pie in the sky stuff. Don't want to hear about that. And we are so attracted as human beings to the physical. In fact, sadly, just flip on your television set and listen to how many messengers, some of them just human success gurus, Secular guys who have no religious connections at all. I'm not trying to teach you about God or Jesus or anything. They're just trying to say, do this, do this, do this. And you can be successful and you can be wealthy. Sell real estate. You'll be wealthy. Have the right business plan. You'll succeed. And watch the television a little bit longer and pretty soon you'll start to see religious guys. Some of them with Eastern philosophies. You know, it's all about karma. What you put out there is what you get back. Watch the television a little bit longer and you'll see people saying, yeah, it's about Jesus and what he can do for you right here, right now. He's our king. He's the success maker. He's the one that can give you life without limits right here today. There is an amazing amount of confusion about what a life without limits that God can give you really is. And I think it's so important that we get super clear about that life without limits that God wants us to have and know exactly what it is that Jesus is promising us. Because in reality, life is all about expectations, isn't it? I really feel that often one of the things that most discourages people about God is the wrong, sinful thought that God is here to make this life successful. And and that idea is promoted throughout our world today, just like it was among the Jews of Jesus' day who said, look, here's our bread king, here's our Messiah. He's going to release us from all of our problems and troubles and oppression of this life. It's what the Colossians were struggling with. And it's what we struggle with when we become Christ followers. Many of you are newer to Christianity. You've just become Christ followers. And you're thinking to yourself, well, this is going to be wonderful. My life is going to be so much more blessed now that I'm following God and I'm living my life according to his truth. And you're looking for those blessings just to be poured out on you sooner rather than later for sure. And then you become a Christ follower And you're in it one or two or three or six months. And all of a sudden you're looking back and going, why has life gotten harder? 
why is it all of a sudden tougher? I thought, I thought having God in my life was going to make it so much better. And yet, it hasn't. You know what the Bible says about life with Christ is that when you step into life with Christ, you get a peace and a joy that is truly unbelievable, unsurpassed, unmatched by any kind of peace and joy that you can find anywhere on planet Earth. And, and this is a big and, so capital A and D, and you enter a field of battle. Because when, when the Holy Spirit draws your heart to follow Jesus Christ, to trust Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit empowers your blind eyes and your stone-cold heart to say, I agree, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. When his power draws us into the family of God, guess who that ticks off? Who is extremely unhappy to lose one of his children when through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the gospel working in the word, we become followers of Jesus Christ? We tick Satan off. That ticks Satan off. And so we have to realize where our expectations lie. That's how I started this thought with that word expectations. What kind of king do you expect Jesus to be? What kind of life without limits is it that you expect Jesus to give? And it's just like anything else. Look at the stock market, right? If a company projects our profits are going to be up here, even if they're a very healthy, growing, wonderful company, if they come in under what they've led people to expect, what happens to their stock, it just goes down. And that's what happens to so many people's stock in Christ when they have lies as expectations of the life that he's going to bring. That's why we have to talk about what this life without limits really is. Look at Colossians 3.2. Would you read it with me? Because this is a key verse. It comes from the same book that we read that bigger passage from. Let's read it together out loud. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We underline those words? Because this is really what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell the Colossians. It's right in the middle of this letter. And he's basically saying, look guys, this is, is what it's all about. And in reality, when we set our eyes and we set our sights and our minds on things below, on earthly things, Usually that's because we're turning those things into ultimate things. And what I mean by ultimate things are things that really only the ultimate can give. And who is the ultimate? Jesus. When we expect from earthly things peace, joy, comfort, safety, strength, courage, 
All these things that really can only come from the ultimate one, Jesus Christ. When we start to place expectations on earthly things, every time there's going to be a foundation in our life that's going to crumble and turn into sand. And we're going to find ourselves built upon that sand, crashed. That's why Paul says this. He says, I love you. I love you, Colossians. And I don't want you building your lives on stuff that's really just sand and that's going to ultimately always crumble. Those things are idols. When we make, when we make earthly things in, into things that can give us only what God can give us, that's the very definition of an idol. In fact, that's what Paul says. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because over the years, there have been people that have said this pretty, pretty solidly in, in, in our own age. A, a gentleman named Ernest Becker wrote that this American culture would replace God one day with sex and romance. Friedrich Nietzsche, the famous philosopher, said that it would not be, be sex and romance that would replace God in our culture, that we would re, regard as the ultimate thing. Nietzsche said it would be money. Now look at what Paul says in Colossians 3, 5. Because, again, this is just sin. That's all it is. We're totally missing the mark. We're not getting over God's bar when we allow our hearts and minds to, to make earthly things ultimate things. And so Paul says, put it to death, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Do you think sex is the ultimate thing? Put it to death. Evil desires and greed. You think money is the ultimate thing? A full bank account is going to give you the joy and peace that you need? Put it to death because all those things are idolatry. I want you to write in your first blank, life without limits does not mean idolatry without limits. You see, so often people come to God and even preachers preach God. And I'm not one, I'm not one to, to rail on other preachers and other churches. But, but understand, when anyone feeds into, God is here to lift up your idols. God is here to feed these things that, that make you think this life is so great. That, that they're spouting lies. And that's all that is. And those are Satan's lies that he wants us to believe. That it's all about the here and now, the the right here. And and these idols are going to give us what only God can give us. And don't go to God to feed your idols. Life without limits does not mean idolatry without limits. So that's what it doesn't mean. What does it mean? And I don't know if we could find a more beautiful place in all of Scripture where God, through the Apostle Paul, lays out what life without limits really is. And, and he basically, in this whole book, is giving us this message. And you can write this in. I, we, have been given, through Jesus Christ, life without limits and in fact, what life without limits means is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, 
I'm the truth and I am the life. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever comes to me, even if he dies, he will live. It's clear in the Bible again and again and again, (coughs) Jesus is life. And Jesus gives life because he is life. So what are the things that Jesus gives us that make up this life without limits? Well, first of all, take a look at what it says. Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, Colossians, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. I want you to underline these words. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God. Have you ever thought how amazing it is that you have an all-access pass to the God of the universe? That, that no matter what you're going through, you can go to God in prayer and say, God, I need you right now. Have you ever thought about how amazing it is that when, when you want to just spout out in anger and frustration against someone or something in your life, that you have a heavenly father, a father. Because Jesus has closed that gap that sin created between us and God. He's restored and reconciled our relationship to the point where he calls us sons and daughters. We call him father. We can walk right into the oval office of God and say, God, here are my needs. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Will you be my lightning rod? I'm worried and I'm anxious. Will you be my lightning rod? I have needs and I have problems. Can I bring them to you and will you help me address them? There are things, Lord, that I've been working at again and again and again, and clearly they're not in my control because I've tried everything I know to solve this problem. Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. Will you hear me? Will you help me? And every last time, all access pass. You see what Paul says? We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to help you. And what Paul had was not because he was an apostle. It was because he was a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What he had, that ability to walk into God's throne room is something that each of us has to help us get through this life and its problems and difficulties, the fallenness of a sinful world. Flip the page over. Notice the verse, verse 9, we continually ask God. And now he's going to give them the substance of his prayer for them. Here's what we want God to do for you. We want God to fill you. Fill you. With the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. You ever, you ever go through life and, and think to yourself, I wish that I just had a little bit more wisdom for this. I wish I understood this a bit better. I wish I wasn't so prone to accept Satan's lies about what's going on. 
You know what's so interesting? Just on one level, scientists have done studies about the things that, that we absolutely ruminate about. And ruminate means you're so worried, you're so anxious, you just keep turning it over and over and over again. You want a, a good mental picture of what ruminating is? Picture yourself flushing the toilet and the water just swirls around and around and around and then it goes down. That's ruminating. But not in the toilet, in the toilet of our mind. And we all do it. It, it's why sometimes you and I wake up at about 2.30 in the morning and we start thinking and we can't get back to sleep because the toilet of our mind is swirling with all these fears and anxieties. Right? And we think to ourselves, man. And so often, and this is what science has taught us, those worries are completely baseless. The studies show that more than 90% of what we worry about will never even come close to occurring. Nine out of 10 times, the things that you're going round and spinning in your mind, so anxious you're sweating bullets about, they're not even close to coming true. And our God says... Look, I have real truth for you. Write that down. God says, I want you to have unlimited truth at your disposal. That's why Paul can pray to God and say, will you give them knowledge of your will? Will you help them with wisdom and understanding? I discovered this not too long ago, that one of the best ways that I can get back to sleep at about three o'clock in the morning when I finally, you know, I'm a slow learner. So if I wake up at 2.30, it's going to take me about till three, maybe 3.15 to realize I'm probably not going back to sleep anytime soon. And then someone said to me, and I love this, stop counting sheep. Not that I ever really counted sheep. But he said, there's actually a better thing that you can do than count sheep. He said to me, I'll bet you memorized Psalm 23 when you were a kid, didn't you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it goes on. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to recite the whole thing right now. But he said, that's God's truth. That's God's wisdom. That's God's understanding of your situation. So instead of counting sheep, what if you just begin to say Psalm 23? It's been one of the best go-back-to-sleep aids I've had. And here's why. It's not a magic formula. It doesn't always work. But the reason I believe it does work many times is because my worries are lies. And when I replace the devil's lies with God's truth, my whole body just eases. 
You see how wonderful it is that God gives us his truth, unlimited, and it's always at our disposable, disposal no, no matter when and where we are. Next verse. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Notice what it says. God wants you to live a life that's worthy. He's giving you this truth and this understanding so that your life can have value, that it can bear fruit, that you can do good, loving, kind things for others, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in your knowledge of God. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus being the life, means that you can walk through life and say, my life is not meaningless, my, my life is not hopeless, my life is not aimless. My life has value and purpose every day. No matter what I'm doing, there's a reason for it that allows me to do good to others and bear fruit in my life. And as we do that, we're going to need strength and power and endurance. And Paul says God, Jesus, provides that too. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. This life without limits also gives us unlimited strength and power and endurance. As long as we're resting in Christ, we have all his strength and all his power and all his endurance. And isn't he the one that ultimately said... With man, that's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The same Paul who writes this is the same Paul who also said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strength, power, endurance. If someone is sitting in this room right now saying, I just want to give up. I'm so sick of this. I have nothing left. My batteries are completely discharged. Then come back to this life that Jesus, your Savior, wants you to have. And tap into his truth. And tap into his power and strength and endurance which he promises you. And it continues one more step. Unlimited joy and gratitude, Paul writes, and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Really? Giving joyful thanks to the Father? Remember again where he's writing this from? And he can say, from this very, from a human point of view, limited life that I'm living, imprisoned, in a cell, I eat whatever I'm fed by the prison guards. I meet whoever the prison guards let in. I go wherever the prison guards tell me to go. And no further. From a human point, that's a very limited life. And I think many of us would say, how do you find joy in there? How do you find gratitude in there? And I, and I love Paul's words from another one of his prison epistles, the, the letter that he wrote to the Philippians. I've learned the secret of being content in any and all circumstances. 
whatever the circumstances out here might be, he sa- and he says, I've learned it. Meaning, it didn't come naturally for my spiritually blind eyes. Didn't come naturally from my cold, dead, natural heart, my old Adam, my sinful nature. This is a gift from God that over time as I've absorbed that wisdom and that knowledge that he's given me, as I've begun to live my life now based in his truth instead of Satan's lies, I've learned. I've learned this secret of being content no matter what the outward circumstances are. And now I can write with a sincere heart. I have joy and gratitude. Yep, I have joy and gratitude even here in this stinking prison cell. And you have that too. Isn't that amazing that that we get to enjoy a joy and a gratitude that, that really isn't based out here in the circumstances of this life. We have a joy and gratitude that's based here. In a vertical relationship with God. To be able to say, you know why I'm so happy? Because I don't have to carry around a load of baggage of sin every day. Which was so cotton big and heavy. I don't have to feel ashamed anymore. Not that I don't have things to be ashamed of because I still sin every day, but I cut that shame loose every day through the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't have to have my life weighed down by anxiety and worry and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness because being filled with God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ and cut all that loose. I don't, have to, I don't have to think to myself every time a temptation comes along, the ones that he was talking about here, lust and greed or whatever they might be, that I'm going to cave in every last time to it? No, because I have the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. I still will cave at times, but I also have his power to enable me to say yes to the right things at times and actually follow through and live in God's truth. And that fills me, and I hope you too, with joy and gratitude. That's this life. Now take a look at what he says about the next life. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. What better reason could we we have to say about this unlimited life that we've been given than that this life is not all there is? Far from it. This life is a mere blip compared to the life that God wants us to have in eternity following this life and inheritance of all his people. In the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We have an unlimited inheritance in heaven. Jesus is already there preparing a room for all of us. And then finally, that's all true because of what it says at the very end. Brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Remember, it's all about Jesus. The son he loves. In whom, 
in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Unlimited freedom. We've bought, been bought out of the slavery. The ransom price has been paid and we are forgiven. So here's how I would summarize all that. The life without limits that you and I have that is so amazing. Life without limits means we live life in hope, by faith, and with love, no matter what circumstances we're in. I want you to look at this first verse in Colossians, almost right after the greeting, Paul says this, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Will you circle the words faith and love? Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love, there they are again, the faith and love that spring from the hope, circle that word, stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that that has come to you. This series has been called Gospel. The, The picture on the cover is one of chains broken, manacles loosed. And notice what it says here. You heard about this freedom. You heard about this faith and love. You heard about this hope, most of all, stored up in this message called the gospel. The good news, the news that brings joy and hope. The news that is about Jesus Christ, God's son, coming into this world to be our redeemer, our savior. This week we're going to be going through that message in vivid detail when we go through on Good Friday Jesus' death and on Easter Sunday his resurrection. There is no more important message. And if you look carefully at that last passage, here's what you notice. Paul is basically saying to the Colossians, everybody's heard about you guys. You, You people apparently are on a mission You're not just a congregation, you're a cause. A cause for Christ. They had so gotten this, what life without limits really is. And they had so trashed the satanic lies about what it isn't. That now they had said, we've got to get Christ out to everybody. Everybody's heard about your faith. Everybody's heard how you love people in your church, in your community. You people are amazing. And I want to call us, as your pastor, as someone who loves you, someone who cares deeply about you making Jesus the heart and the core and the center of your life, I want to call you to that same thing that the Colossians had. Not not to be people standing on the street, waving our arms, shouting and singing, expecting the wrong king. 
and the wrong Messiah, but to get who Jesus, the Messiah, the King really is and what he really offers in this life without limits. And then say, we're a cause. Everybody's going to see our faith. Everybody's going to know our love because Jesus gave it to us. And he is our king. But he's not just our king. He wants to be the king of the entire world. There's one little simple way you can do that this week. Remember what I said before I launched into today's message? If we as a church want to be a cause, a demonstration of the faith the Holy Spirit has given us and of the love God has given us, there's no better way than to get our friends here next weekend and to let them hear about the life that Jesus has for them. Their king and ours. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the gift of grace that you've given us. We don't deserve any of this life without limits that you've given us. And Lord, we admit that so so many times sinfully, in our lust and in our greed for the things of this life, we have allowed ourselves to be distracted from the king that you truly are and from the life that you really want us to have. And Lord, for those sins of thought, when our heart has been distracted by the things of this world, we ask you to forgive us, Lord. Help us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And Lord, then, when you lead our eyes and our minds to be set on things above and on you, Jesus, help us to experience all this life without limits that we've just learned about, and especially the joy and the gratitude that all of us have because you, Jesus, gave us this. And then help us to be a cause spreading your name, Jesus, throughout this entire world. We pray this in your name. Amen. You give me joy more than my share. You fill me up with countless blessings. You give me love as you first loved me. My God overflow. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. Visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.